Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Brilliant. So once again, uh, good morning. And if we can please take out our Bibles, if that's all right. And you can open up your Bible to the Old Testament book called Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 29. Once again, if you don't have a Bible just yet, or you don't have one here this morning, um, will you just quickly just put up your hand and just keep it there for a moment? We just want to give you one of these handout Bibles if you need it. And then you can just be as kind as to give it back to us at the end of our service. Uh, The reason is in Doxedo, Hatfield, we are passionate about the Spirit and the Word of God. So we are in this thing together. So friends, uh, this morning we are finishing off, can you believe it already? It feels like we started yesterday. We are finishing off our series called Monday Morning Atheist uh, that we've been doing together with the whole Doxa family globally. And we've been challenging this thought that's so prevalent that very often on a Sunday morning, God has celebrated and then switched off on a Monday morning. And we enter into our work life. Uh, We all have a work life. Uh, You are a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter. You're a scholar. You're a student. You're a business owner. Uh, You have an eight to five. You're a volunteer at a church or a nonprofit. We all have a work life of some sort. And we enter into that work life often on a Monday morning disconnected from the God of purpose and mission and joy. Um, And that's not the heart that God has for us. He calls us to actually be deeply connected to him, to have God switched on on a Monday morning as we enter into our workspaces. And he calls us to work and live out this work life with his passion, with his excellence, and with his servant posture. So that first week, we tackled some of the practicalities of what that can look like. And these final three weeks, we said, we're going to tackle just three misconceptions we have about our work, three mindset um, you know, shifts that we need to make about our work life. And today, we want to tackle the final one as we bring this series to a close. So just a bit of background then for Jeremiah 29, where you are. Um, so God is walking the road with the Israelite people, his chosen people. Eventually, Jesus will come from this group. Um, but at this stage of the story, after generations of unfaithfulness and disobedience and rebellion, God is eventually at that point where he says, now I will have to discipline you. I will have to give you over to your own devices. And so the Israelite people, because of that, uh, politically, uh, economically, socially, they are tearing themselves apart. And so eventually they break apart into these two kingdoms, the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And then enter this man called Jeremiah. He's a prophet. And he lives in the final season almost of the southern kingdom of Judah. Because then in 588 before Christ, this tyrant of a king called Nebuchadnezzar, he comes from Babylon and he decimates the people of Judah, overthrows them breaks apart their city's structures, and he kidnaps literally the people and forcefully takes them back to Babylon, where they are now forced to live in captivity. And so under the inspiration of God, Jeremiah writes a letter to these Israelite people in captivity in Babylon, and listen to what he says to them in verse 4. Read with me. He says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles that I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decree. Um, And then he says this. Pursue the well-being of the city that I have deported you to. That's a strong statement. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will 
thrive. When it thrives, you will thrive. That's a very, very powerful statement for us even today here in 2019 in Pretoria. And I think the key of this whole passage is found in that final word, to thrive. Because I want to show us today in this last mind shift we need to make about our work that there are two extremes that we often end up in, whether church people or not, about our work. The first is where I believe that my work has no purpose, my work has no worth. And the other extreme is where I believe that my work is my worth. And I see in this passage such a beautiful, compelling vision by God where he says, I want to give you the third option, where you are not just surviving through your work, but you are actually thriving in the midst of it. And so we are simply going to tackle those two extremes today. My work has no worth, or it is my worth. We're going to spend the bulk of our time on that first one. Let's see what God says. No, there is a better way for each of us. So firstly, first extreme that I think we often end up in is what? That my work, your work life, whatever it is, you just feel, God, it has no worth. It's purposeless. It's it's senile. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, you would be surprised to know that both church people and non-church people, religious or irreligious, spiritual, non-spiritual, both of those groups end up here so easily. If you're irreligious, if you don't believe in God and you say, well, this life is all that there is and there's no purpose or meaning behind any of it and these couple of years, these decades, is I have to make, that's it, you know, I've I've got to make the best of it. You will so quickly realize that then when you try and get your work to give you this purpose and joy and meaning and life is just going to be great and you're going to just celebrate and become famous, so quickly you hit that existential ceiling and you realize, no, life is not that great. And you realize in your 8 to 5 one day in your mid-30s or 40s, why am I doing this? This is pointless. I'm going to die soon. And then for what? The guy with the most toys wins. What's the point? Because you realize I feel like a rat in a maze and I'm gathering as much you know, cheese as I can before I die. And then I'm thrown out of the maze and another rat's put in my place and the race goes on. What's the point, you think? Tyler Durden in Fight Club, he puts it like this. He says, Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'll all be millionaires and movie guards and rock stars, but we won't. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. So easy to end up in that place. My work has no worth. But funnily enough, you would think that religious people would not have this issue. Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) So many religious people end up in a place of saying, my work has no worth. Now, I can't speak for every world religion this morning, but I want to speak to us Christians, if you are a Christian this morning, very specifically, because I think the reason why Christians end up in this place mostly, 90% of the time, where as a Christian in this city, in this year of 2019, you feel whatever your work situation is, your work-life situation is, it has no worth. It's because we believe this reductionistic version of the the good news of Jesus It's because we have this small version of the Bible's narrative and we live by it. And it's not less true, it's just there's so much more. Now there's an organization that I want to just make you aware of. They're called the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. They do incredible work. 
If you are in the working world, you should be reading and listening to what these guys put out there on a regular basis because it's so brilliant. They are instructing and encouraging and strengthening the working people in the Christian world, which guess what are 99.9% of the Christian world, and they do a brilliant job of what we want to speak about this morning. See, most Christian people live on what they would call the two-chapter gospel. Gospel meaning good news, the good news of Jesus. We live on a two-chapter gospel. And it goes something like this. If I were to ask you this morning, put you on the spot and ask you, what is the Christian message? What's the good news? What's the point of the whole Bible? I think most of us would have a version that goes like this. The story starts, chapter one, with the fall. You know, God wants to have relationship with us. He's created us to be in a relationship with him. But our sins and our brokenness and our, you know, our disobedience That has caused this divide between us and God. And there's nothing that we can do that will cross that divide ever again. Chapter one. Chapter two, but incredibly, God comes in the form of Jesus Christ to this earth. And he doesn't come like we often say with sword in hand. He comes with nails in hand. And he takes us, you know, our sin upon himself. He becomes sin so that we could become his righteousness. And he defeats, you know, this sin and and the devil and, and death and brokenness on the cross. And he once again reconnects us with God. And if I put my faith in Christ and I repent of my sins, then I can be washed clean. I can be made new. I can be restored. And when I die, I can go to heaven. That's it. That's the story that most of us believe the Bible tells. There's the fall, and luckily there's redemption. Chapter 1 gives us the problem, separation from God because of your sin. And chapter 2 gives us the solution, reconnection with God and a free ticket to heaven in Jesus Christ. Now, the problem with that is, I would submit, is that I don't think the gospel is anything less than that. I think it's much more than that. (laughs) Because if this is the full spectrum of what I believe as I enter into my work and into my life, a whole bunch of problems are going to arise. Things like, you know, the two-chapter gospel doesn't tell us why we were created. It doesn't tell us what our true destiny is. It overemphasizes the individual when it comes to salvation. It's all about me. It's all for me. It's all on me. It leads to this kind of escapist view of spirituality. We just have to fly away from the earth one day and get to heaven. And finally, it does what the Christian philosopher Dallas Willard calls, it creates this gospel of sin management in our lives. What's the point of life? It's to manage your sin. And sometimes the scales are low, oh, I'm not doing good, Jesus help, you know, pray, fast, Bible, church, guys help, oh, I'm doing much better, I mean, I'm managing it, I'm on a good streak, my, you know, my app is keeping me on track, and that's life. I'm just managing my sin with my two-chapter gospel, and while I'm waiting, what do I do? Well, nothing of much consequence, really, nothing else has much worth, and so often in church, you will find that same narrative, we'll tell people, listen, come to the front, come to the altar, get down on your knees, accept Jesus into your heart. What a beautiful phrase. Um, And then we say, now what? What do you do now that you've accepted Jesus? Now go and get other people to do the same. That's the point. Get other people to go down on their knees and accept Jesus into their heart. And what do you do in the meantime? Well, I guess you have to work, you know, just to feed yourself and care for your family. But nothing else has any, you know, real consequence 
or worth than getting souls into heaven. That is the point. Souls in heaven, and Jesus is the bus ticket to heaven. And while we're waiting at the bus stop called life, there's not really anything else to do. Now, I know I'm caricaturing this thing, but so many of us in the church live exactly like this. That's the whole story. And I want to challenge us as we go back to our passage, Jeremiah 29. Let's do what God says to these people in such dire straits. Does he tell them, okay, Israel, here's the story. Get on your knees, give your heart to me once again, and then just wait it out in Babylon at the spiritual bus stop, and one day I'll come and fetch you and we'll all go to heaven. Is that what he says? Is that the kind of passive, you know, just sitting back in my lazy boy called life, waiting for God kind of posture that God gives them? No, listen to the front-footed, active, verb-like words that God uses. He says, build, love, plant, eat, marry, multiply. He says, pursue, that's such a strong word, pursue the well-being of the city of Pretoria that I've deported you to, for when it thrives, you will thrive. The only way that this can be true That God could say, no, 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 I don't want you to wait. I want you to roll up your sleeves and get this spiritual life going. As if Jeremiah is reminding the Israelite people of their true mandate, their cultural mandate. What were you created for? And that's exactly what he is doing here. He's reminding them of the full gospel message, the full scope of the Bible, the four-chapter gospel. So let's run through that for a second. What does the full picture look like for you and I in our work lives? And it goes like this. It does not start with the full. No, chapter one is called creation. How the world was at one stage. What does the Bible say? That's where the story starts. That's where the good news starts. In Genesis 1, 26, and God says, I've made you in my image and in my likeness, and I've placed you in this world that you would be a light bearer, an image bearer of me. And that you would now go and bring out the fullest potential of this earth, this place that I've given you. That you would be a good steward of that. Because you are my co-regents, my co-creators, my co-leaders in the space. I've appointed you. I've mandated you. Enjoy me and my presence forever. Walk in relationship with me. And now go. Let's create. Let us establish. Let us get this thing going. That's where it starts. God's good intention, his good purpose, his good design. And then, yes, chapter two, the fall. Man's response to this, this ever-repeating cycle is sin and rebellion, and we want to be our own gods. We will be the captain of our own souls. And so what happens because of that? Now we see something of a description in Genesis 3. It's saying that this work has, has become cursed in a way. Now there is painful labor Now it says the sweat of your brow produces what should be produced. Romans 3 calls it in verse 23, um, it calls it falling short of the glory of God. It says in verse 23 of Romans 3, all have sinned. Not just the spiritual or those who take note of it. It says all of us have missed the mark of what it means to be a human being. That's true. But chapter 3, redemption. If chapter 1, Creation is about how the world used to be. And if chapter two, fall, sin is how the world is at the moment. That's the experience of life. It's fallen, it's broken. 
Chapter 3, redemption is what the world can be like. This is what it can be. Because Jesus steps in and he says, I will not abandon my project. I will not abandon the renewal of all things or my people. No, I will come restore them. I will redeem them. Romans 3 verse 24, the one after saying, yes, we've all fallen short. We've missed the glory of God. Then says, but we are justified freely by the grace and the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. There is free grace in Christ. It's costly, but it's free. And I love how Colossians 1 verse 14 puts it. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus says, I come to recapture the full picture of what mankind should be. And I take your brokenness and death and rebellion upon myself. And I come to conquer you with free grace and love. And I call you to respond. And then, it doesn't even end there. Then finally, chapter 4, there's restoration. Oh, friends, that's just the start. Then restoration. Because in the ministry of Jesus, we see that on his cross, you know, in his life, death, and resurrection, he started something. The kingdom was inaugurated, not finished. He says, you know, it's like that bottle against the ship moment. Guys, we are getting this party started now. The final chapter of my father's great plan of the renewal of all things has now kicked into high gear. So something of the kingdom has already come. There's an already element to Jesus' ministry. But then he says there's a promise. There's a not yet element to his ministry. It's not done yet. And we live in the tension between the two. So there's an already element to Jesus. In Matthew 12, when he heals the man with the withered hand, it says that he restores his hand. He brings something of the kingdom into this time at this place. When Jesus starts preaching in his ministry in Matthew 4, he says to the people, repent. In other words, turn to me. Let go of your gods. Why? Because the kingdom is near. The kingdom is coming. It's near. You can touch it. It's here. There's an already element to it. And that's why he can pray in Matthew 6 to his father and say, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is breaking into our reality at the moment through Jesus. But it's not the final picture yet. There's a, there's a not yet element to what Jesus is doing. Acts 3.21 says of Jesus, heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things. That's what God has in his heart. The restoration of all things. Second Peter 3.13 says, but based on this promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth. That is the end goal, friends. God is full steam ahead going with his kingdom, not towards the destruction of heaven and earth, but the renewal of heaven and earth. See, friends, in the two-chapter gospel, redemption is the final story. Now we just wait for heaven. Now I just sit around. I know one American pastor, Mark Driscoll, he would always say, he's, he asked his one child as they were putting them to bed, you know, do you want to accept Jesus into your life yet? And he says, no, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I've got so many things that I still want to do. That's exactly how we live because redemption is the end. No, in the four-chapter gospel, redemption is the start. Because now I'm reconnected to the true purpose of who I am. I'm reconnected to the true meaning and identity of what God has made me to be. And so now I rejoin God in creating things that are beautiful and beneficial to those around me. 
Now I rejoin God in being a good steward of what he's given me, bringing the fullest potential out of this earth in whatever vocation I have, bringing the kingdom into every square centimeter of my life. In every engagement, every coffee, every workday, every spreadsheet, I'm bringing the kingdom of God into this world. And then it says in this this mysterious way that even everything we do now, it will transcend into the new heavens and earth. Friends, do you hear that? You will not be floating around in a cloud with wings and a weird baby next to you. We're not going to have a less human life. We are going to have a more human life. Can you imagine that? Your vocation that you are in today, in its perfect form, in a perfect world, perfectly connected to God, making beautiful and beneficial things forever together. This is what God says we are going to do. I'm not going to try and get you out of the earth. I am going to come and restore the earth to its fullest potential. Do you hear how deeply your work matters to God? And how deeply God matters to your work. I love how Chris writes. He puts it like this. He says, the whole Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people and their engagement with God's world for the sake of God's whole creation. That is the full story. And let's just get practical for a second here. This is a mind shift, but I want us to understand that when you take this seriously, it changes everything about your Monday to Saturday existence. We can't think ever again differently. Because when I understand the fourth chapter, the full view of the gospel, can we just go back to our statement from a couple of weeks ago? Where we said this, we said the way that I view the world, what? Will determine how I live in the world. The way that I view my marriage, the way that I view my life and my work will determine how I live in those spaces. If it's worthless, I will treat it like it. If it's temporary, I will just ransack it as it is. But God says, no, no, no. It's so important what we are doing today and into eternity. So three just quick thoughts with regard to that. You know what this teaches us about your work, your work life, whatever season it is? It means that your work is good. Your work is good, friends. Yes, thank you, Lachai. Amen. Work is not a punishment for our sins because the story doesn't start in Genesis 3 with a fall. It starts in Genesis 1. It's good that the man and his wife together have got a mission and a purpose and they are working it passionately. See, the, so the modern view is make enough money so that you don't have to work anymore, that you can retire early. Why? Because work is a burden. Or even the modern Christian view is what? Work hard enough so that you can give some money to the church. <laughs> now, I'm, uh, I mean, I, I say I want us to be a generous church, but that's such a reductionist view of what you do. Because the biblical view is do work for the love of the work itself. Because when you do that, you are tapping into such a deep DNA strain of what God has made you to be. Week one, when I'm working with passion and excellence and God's servant posture, I am deeply connected to my Father. Work is good. Your work life is good. But it's not only good. Your work life is sacred. There is no such thing as the split between the sacred and the secular 
this morning, Galen, what a champion. He came in early to serve with our crew, and then he had to go at 8.30 to work this morning. Isn't that incredible commitment? But we prayed for him before he left to say, God, in exactly the same mindset and posture, you will transition from the one to the other. He did not come to do a sacred thing this morning to set up these chairs and help us do church. No, he was doing as a sacred thing right now as he was doing this morning. Our work is sacred. Do you know that that word that God uses in Genesis 2 verse 15, or the author of Genesis uses uh, to work uh, you know, Adam having to work the, the land, avoid, it is actually the same word used all over the Old Testament for many different things. And it does mean things like to work, to labor, to offer services, to plow, uh, to cultivate. Yes, that's true. But it's the same word used, used for things like to minister and to worship. Do you hear that? God is saying, when I offer up my work to Him, in worship, I'm doing such a deeply sacred thing. Your work is sacred to God. And finally, your work is beneficial. It's beneficial. Friends, we spoke about this in week one, that God is actually bringing goodness and healing and restoration into this world. How is it airy-fairy dust that he pours over us? You know, in the evening, he's like dough that just kind of, you know, he, he grows out somewhere and he does his thing and then he hides again. He's like, you know, Father Christmas up the chimney, God has blessed the city. No, he does it through us. God says, I want you to go and civilize Imagine that tomorrow morning, globally, we all committed to just stop working. Everyone stopped working. No one goes to work ever again. Can you imagine what a dumpster fire the earth would become like overnight? <laughs> Services ending, everything stops. It's, it'll be chaos. The few of us left alive in a couple of weeks will be standing around fires in a cave somewhere. Because think about it, the difference between wilderness and civilization is one thing, work. How does God do what he does in this world? He calls us to do it with passion and excellence. That's why Leslie Newbigin says that it's the Christians of the world that work in the spheres of government and education and entertainment and sports. It's when they realize that they are the front line of the kingdom in this world. That's when the city starts changing. I love how Nancy Piercy puts it in her book, Total Truth. Listen to this. She says, our calling is not just to go to heaven, but it's to cultivate the earth as well. It's not just to save souls, but it's to serve God through our work. The ideal human existence is not eternal leisure or an endless vacation. Some of you might like that. Or not even a monastic retreat into prayer and meditation. No, it's creative effort expended for the glory of God and the benefit of others. That's what we are called to. Your work has such deep worth to God. But finally for our series, this other thought I think plagues many of us and many in our city. It's not the extreme of my work having no worth. It's that my work is my worth. I am literally what I do. Don't you find it amazing, back to our passage in Jeremiah, that even when the Israelites are in literally the deepest of the dumps, that they've, they've led themselves into that, 
that God still starts when he speaks to them and he says, what? This is the Lord of armies, the God of Israel. I am speaking to you. And then he says to them, pursue the well-being of the city. Pray for it. Seek its blessing and its thriving because then you will thrive. God says, even when you feel your season is a waste or your space of work is it's just mundane and it's not exciting, even when you're at the lowest of your low where the Israelites is, he says, guess what? I still want to remind you that I am pursuing your heart. I'm pursuing your head and heart and hands for my kingdom. It always starts with God. It always starts with God. You see, in our world, the narrative is flipped around. It starts with you. It starts with me. Workplaces and life places in this worldly narrative, you at the very center of the stage that we call life. You are the main actor. You are the main attraction of this thing called life. And that sounds amazing for about three and a half minutes until I realize now it's all up to me. It's all on me. It's all for me and because of me. And I have to carry this whole thing. And then suddenly I realize, but this life is not what I hoped it would be. And my work is not, you know, catapulting me into the stratosphere of fame and success and enjoyment and passion and Disney-like, you know, follow your dreams and fulfillment. None of that is happening as I thought it would. And it sucks. You know, the pop star Madonna, she once said, my drive in life is from the horrible fear of being mediocre. I still have to prove that I'm somebody and the struggle will never end. That is a statement of identity. If I can just reach the heights that I know I should or can or or must, I will know that I am. I will know that I'm okay. I'm worth it. See, work becomes something it was never meant to be. Work was never meant to be our God. Work was never meant to give us the ultimate sense of success and security and significance. And when I try and do that with my work, I crush it under its expectation. In fact, you can do that with anything. Whether it's the good things of life, friendship, sex, marriage, money, success, acclaim, good health, adventure, all those things are good things, but they are not God things. And when I try and build my life on them, you know what happens? They deeply disappoint me. It's when my work becomes an idol that it loses all of its worth. And you think idol. Joe, seriously, it's 2019. We are not bowing down before wooden, you know, statues. That's Old Testament. Listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, when anything in your life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol. It's something you're actually worshiping. If we look to some created thing to give us the ultimate meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. When work is my God, what a terrible God to serve. Because then you are defined by what you do or do not do. And then when, when you know, work is going well and I'm succeeding and I'm climbing the ladder, I'm, you know, my ego is stroked and my self-worth just grows. But then when I lose my job, where there's a dry season in my work, my self-worth plummets and I'm broken emotionally because that is who I am. Men, would you agree within two minutes of speaking to a man somewhere at a braai or some social engagement, you meet each other for the first time, within 
maybe 60 seconds, what is the first thing he is going to ask you? What do you do for a living? Because we say from that question, I can gauge everything I need to know about you. God says that is not what we have been called to. No, we have a deeper calling, a primary calling. First Peter says, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Romans 1, for we have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. It's first in that primary calling where I find my significance and my success and my identity and my strength and my worth. When I hear like Jesus, the Father speaking over me, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Then from that place, I can engage in this secondary calling to go and do what God has called me to do, whatever your vocation is. That's what Ephesians 2 says about. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And therefore, in verse 1, I, prisoner in the Lord, Paul speaking, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received. It's when I'm deeply connected in identity and worth and purpose in God that I can enter into my office knowing who I am and who I am not. And then work finds its good place. Let's end off this morning. Now, our kids, they've got this one book. It's, it literally, I think it comes from the dinosaur ages, but it's such a classic where these two young boys, they've got this very boring day, and they decide, you know, there's nothing to do in the house, so they are going to build an airplane. Can you believe it? Literally build a working airplane. And so they start taking apart things in the house. Obviously, the parents are away at this stage. They're going to use all these parts to build this airplane. And so at one stage, they need an engine, obviously. So what do they do? They take the engine out of their dad's car, <laughs> which is a great idea, mind you, because they need an engine for it. And so when the dad comes home and he wants to drive his car, he's like, what's going on here? Like, I cannot move. Why? Because the engine has been taken out of my car. Friends, your work, your status Sexuality, marriage, friendship, none of that was ever meant to be the engine of the deepest part of your soul. No, God says, it's when you are connected to me that you once again find true purpose and joy. And when that is in place, whether you are painter, programmer, plumber, plumber, salesman, singer, scientist, secretary, manager, mechanic, mathematician, medical rep, then we can say, God, I am going to walk out the calling to which you have called me to your glory and to the benefit of those around me. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask this morning, God, would you come and stir a fire in our soul for the vocation, the work that you have placed us in? And God, may we never try and worship our work and then try and serve you, but may we worship you and serve you in our work. I pray for every single heart here this morning. God, when we leave now, that we would have such an excitement about going to be the church that you have called us to be. 
Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. So as we finish off our series, friends, can we say once again to one another, it's unbiblical to say, thank God it's Friday. (laughs) What's biblical? Thank God it's Monday. Because now we go and get to be the people of God. So to hear a last story about what that looks like, we've been hearing some city changer stories over the last couple of weeks. We've had Nick and we've had uh, Wayne and last week we had Tammy and Lahai just speaking about this. We all have to figure this thing out together. What does it look like to serve God in our work? And so today we have our last guest with us. Can we just give a hand to Nolo? Promise he's going to come and sit here in the front with me. Uh, we're going to chat just for a minute or two about what his life and work looks like. Um, so the promised Rygan coffee machine never made it to the City Changes studio. Sorry about that budget issues, you know, end of the year. Um, but welcome, Nola. So it's so great to have you with us. As we always start, uh, let's start in this place. Who are you and what do you do for a living? No pun intended to that question. <laughs> okay, um, I'm Liso Nolo, promised Litlaga. Um, I am a waiter at a grounded, uh, it's a small coffee shop at, uh, in Valeria. It's been at Grounded at Echo. Anyone? Just massively blessed there, isn't it? Such an amazing place. Yeah, and I'm also a part-time student. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. Brilliant. Students and working at Grounded Echo. So, tell us maybe however way you want to tackle it, but what are some of the most difficult parts of your job and what's some of the most enjoyable parts of what you do? Okay, um, I can say uh, one of the challenges was, I, 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 for me personally, is um, just... Uh, Having that positive attitude sometimes, like after you get dropped by an exam at school day, and then you just have to come to work and just be happy and chubby, you know, it's tough, you know. <laughs> but uh, then also it's um, it's a it's a challenge. But then also the 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 good part of it is that um, I overcome that challenge by just uh, the environment as well, you know, and um, uh, meeting new people, networking, um, you know. I meet, I meet like a lot of people, man. I meet like doctors, engineers, uh, nurses, and I get to just uh, engage with these people and just um, and kind of brighten up their day and they brighten my day up too, you know? Yeah. Mm. And so the million dollar question for all of us, we all have to wrestle with this question. Mm. How do you, as an example, bring God into your workspace? Um, I can say it's just... Um, Sharing just sh- sharing positivity with people like um, there's this experiment that uh, psychologists did right they took two dogs so they uh, in they took two dogs so let's just name one dog Nolo and one dog Joe right um, so Nolo is like this German shepherd you know buff and then I'm a sausage dog probably no, no, right the Chihuahua <laughs> you know, the Chihuahua stuff works so, for me. <laughs> So they took these two dogs and they put them in um, rooms, and these rooms had uh, mirrors all over. So Nolo went in one room, and then and Joe went in the other room, and then Nolo came out um, uh, grumpy and angry, and then Joe came out all happy. So they asked the question, why is, why is these two dogs come out with uh, two different personalities all of a sudden? And then they realized that, okay, when Nolo was in the room, he saw a thousand angry dogs looking at him, barking at him, and then Joe saw a thousand happy dogs looking at him, you know? And then, like, so, like, so it just, it's a perspective and, and, and worldview. So sometimes I, I realize that, you know what? One positive Joe can change a thousand Nolo's um, positive uh, um, mood, you know? 
So just, you know, keeping, like even sometimes I get grumpy people, just share that love and just share, you know, um, and have a smile and you, you don't know what you're changing in that person's life. It's beautiful. It's just yeah. those little kingdom engagements mm. yeah. one person at a time. Yeah. So we've ended the same way every week, uh, just asking what's one thing that we can pray with and for you and, uh, and then we're going to do exactly that. So what's that thing for you? Um, yeah, for me, it's just uh, for my team, you know, the guys I work with, um, like it's going towards the end of the year, we are, we are drained, man, we are drained. Uh, but just to keep on you know, doing what we're doing and, um, and just sharing the love and giving good coffee out to people. Yeah. Coffee changes people's lives, friends. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus and coffee. <laughs> so can we all stand together? We're going to just pray uh, for Nolo. And if you're comfortable with me, just to stretch out your hand to this amazing man. And can we just pray for that, something of that God posture, that God uh, just scent that goes out from us when we just imitate our Father. They would just bless you as you are working and as you're doing. And let's pray for your future as well. So let's do that. Jesus, I just pray this morning, God, for promise. And I thank you, even just in that name, God, that everything that you have promised in Jesus Christ would be absolutely yes and amen in his life. And God, as he, as he moves into his workspace, God, Monday to Saturday, may he have just such a sense of joy, genuine joy, not just happiness, not just worldly excitement, but, but godly joy over him. And God, may you bless people in small conversations, in small moments. May the kingdom come in little square centimeters through every interaction that he has. And we thank you for his life, God. We thank you what you have done and what you will continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we give them a hand? Isn't that just beautiful? Thank you, Nolo. We appreciate it.